Hey, let's start the show. Hey, it's Thursday, January 11th, 2018. That means it's time for This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of (laughs) Tested.com. Welcome into This Is Only a Test. That you may was, not know it's This Is Only a Test based on the theme. That yeah, was, that was a little different. <laughs> All right, so yes, we are a half hour late starting because we did have some audio problems, which apparently have not ceased. They don't know it's a podcast. They don't know when we're recording this. I'm just saying that I'm filling them in on the stress that was the last half hour of our lives. However, bear with us. We will make it through this show. Yeah, the audio cues may not be up to Jeremy's <laughs> usually level of amazingness, <laughs> no. but it'll be fine. Hey, I'm Kishore. Uh, and Jeremy, our co-host, as always, is here. Greetings. And we have a special guest, Mike. Welcome back to the show. It's awesome to be back. I'm in the three-timers club, basically, in this studio. You, this studio alone. Yeah. yeah. Mike Micah from Other Ocean. Yes. Yeah, Other Ocean. Software developer extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Legendary <laughs> he, he is quite, game developer. He, he has had many brushes with fame, initially uh, from converting Donkey Kong Mario to a female character for his daughter. Yep. Am I correct? That's correct. Um, and then again with with uh, as the lead developer on iDarb. Yep, exactly. That one that one did pretty well. A designer, for us. lead developer. I mean, developer dev- designer. Whatever. I actually programmed it. Um, there you go. It was one of two people really coding that thing, and we just did it in our spare time and turned it into something awesome. The game that made my son want an Xbox. See, like Microsoft should pay us more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear that a lot. Like, okay, do you? yeah, I do yeah. actually. People bought bought an Xbox to play IDAR because it's not on anything else really. Right. So. Well, it's on Windows now. It is on Windows, but a lot of people are like, I don't. Where's the Where's the store for Windows? Exactly. <laughs> Fair point. Norm is away. Norm and Joey are in New Zealand. Uh, Joey is still looking for recommendations for good breweries to go to in Wellington. So help him out. Uh, they are shooting something. I actually kind of don't know what. Uh, but I believe they will be back for two weeks. So Norm left me and Jeremy in charge. Yeah. And you're going to get what you're going to get. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we're going to start off by breaking into the biggest news of this week in the VR Minute. Oh, my gosh. That, so this is going to sound bad, right? Let's see. The VR <laughs> Oh, my God. What is happening? <laughs> I am so sorry. We should just not do any more audio cues. Yeah, well, we might abandon the audio cues. <laughs> we, should, we should just act them out. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, well, welcome to the VR Minute, the all-new VR Minute. And the reason we're cutting right into the VR Minute is we have some new hardware to talk about, the Vive Pro. Yeah, it's a big deal, right? I mean, because nobody, nobody expected much this year because Oculus has been on the you know, on the record saying that they weren't going to do any kind of new yeah. headset this year. Um, so you would think HTC could just lay low and do what, they, do what they're doing, let the market improve before they release new hardware. But no, here we go. It's like it, the Vive 1.5. I mean, it even caught you and Norm off guard. And you're, you're sort of in there. Mm-hmm. You're official VR journalists at this point. And I saw a Slack message from you a couple days ago 
uh, about the announcement coming out, and it seemed like you were caught off guard. Is that right? Oh, yeah. No, I, I didn't expect this at all. Um, so what they've done is, and it, the biggest news is that they've improved the resolution. So, yeah, so where are we, we're going up to what resolution? Uh, well, currently it's 1080 per 1200 per eye with the Vive and the Rift, mm-hmm. and the new Vive Pro will have the same resolution as the uh, Samsung Odyssey, the, the Windows Mixed Reality headset, uh, which is 1440 by 1600 per eye, which is a good leap. You know, it's not like, it's not yeah. going to be HD, it's, you can't tell it's a screen anymore, but it's a good leap, and I'm, and I'm excited for this. It's a bigger leap than, for instance, like DK2 to the release, you know, um, Rift. Uh, there's a good infographic you source uh, that we'll put in the show notes that shows how big of a leap yeah, it is. It's a good leap. I, it's it's going to make you know text a little bit easier to read, like that kind of thing. I, I think uh, just to talk about it a little bit more, I, I read an article that said in order to get to the point where it's retinal level in VR, we're talking about going to like the equivalent of something like a, akin to 16K yeah. to get to that retinal level. So it's not like that is something that we can expect no. anytime soon. But what are the advantages of getting up to this higher resolution um, beyond things being a little bit sharper? Well, I mean, that, that's, that's largely it. Like, we're getting, we're getting crisper the, text. We're getting, if there's, because of this increased resolution, you're also reducing the, the space between the pixels. So you reduce what they call the screen door effect, yeah. uh, which, you know, you see the black lines that is between the pixels. So there's less of that. Um, uh, but there's there's more improvements beyond the, the optics, beyond the, the actual displays on this. And that is, um, they, they're now basically including the, the Pro Audio headset. So it has audio gear on there, which it, it, the Vive always should have had. It should have. That was always a, I mean, that bothered me the most. And when Sony launched their VR headset, I thought what they had done was really perfect for the price. Yeah. Including that audio advantage. So having that here is going to be great. Mm-hmm. I think the audio integrated audio is is wonderful. Like we have yet to test it out, so we don't know how good it sounds. But based off initial reactions from a number of VR outlets trying them out, they said the audio sounds good. They did confirm that the headphones are detachable, so you can wait. Did they? Yeah. I, I, oh, okay. I so it, it went back and forth, okay. and Road to VR can, did <clears throat> confirm in talking with HTC they are detachable. Now, is, is audio all still in software? Or are they doing a sort of hardware advantage for this? Don't know. That's, don't know. That's what I'm kind of curious about because it, it's you throw all that audio work onto the the PC or whatever you're using to drive this, and that that takes a lot of power to do it right. Does it? Yeah. So it's like I was expecting at least this round, or at least by the next round, we're going to see a lot more audio processing done external, mm-hmm. uh, either with the device or somewhere else. So I'm kind of interested to see what they're doing here. So that know. it looks like a sound card essentially to the computer. Yeah, and it's all it's it's processing a lot of the audio, positional audio, and everything else. That's like a pretty complicated math and everything that has it. to go on for this stuff. Uh, just as much as you do for like frame rate, you want that for your audio as well to make sure that you're getting all this positional audio as clean and clear and fast as you want. I didn't get a sense. I mean, this is reading between the lines. I didn't get a sense from the presentation that they made changes to the audio okay. hardware. But I, I have no confirmation of that. That's me reading between the lines because yeah. I think if they did, it would have been mentioned mm-hmm. uh, pretty clearly up front. But they talked about sound quality, um, the the ergonomics of the headphones. That leads me to believe yeah. it, there isn't anything there. It appears to be the same um, lenses, the same general optics. So you've still got the Fresnel okay. lenses, so you've still got the God rays. that like, They yeah. haven't found a way to get rid of that yet. Do you think this resolution is going to solve that Mira problem that they talk about? Like, that's the anti-aliasing mm-hmm. thing? No, no. From no. what I've read, like, that's that's now the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like now that you have this higher resolution, you're, you're going to deal with aliasing. 
um, problems because we still need a lot of processing power. And now you need more to do VR uh, properly. So you what's know. the refresh? Do you know the refresh rate of the screens? I assume it's still ninety. Okay. I don't think they made a change to that. Okay. Uh, but the, the other big news is that there will be a first-party wireless solution. Oh wait, well, let's hold on the wireless <laughs> solution because it's, I want to talk. It's all part of the same thing. Yeah, I know it's part of the same thing, but I, I feel like the wireless is is sort of the big big component of this. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the ergonomics and a couple other features. There is a second pass-through camera on front versus the uh, the original Vive that just has the one. Yeah, that's curious, right? Because n- nobody used the first one. Exactly. So why two? Why double down? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, it makes sense from a stereo standpoint that they, they, now they can do actual 3D video, but I'm not sure that anyone's going to actually incorporate it. Is there any sense that with the second camera, maybe this is leading them towards inside-out tracking? I don't know. I mean, speaking of tracking, they have the new sensors on it. So the the Steam VR 2.0 standard, which uh, this will not come with lighthouses or controllers, mm-hmm. but it will be ready for the new lighthouses when they're ready. Um, so it has the the new standard on the for the sensors. So that's good. They're, like they are definitely investing in that. I don't I don't see lighthouse going anywhere soon. Are the two cameras like per eye style positioned as if they're like for each eye for a stereo input? I mean, yeah, they look sort of you okay. know, eye distance apart. The the first Vive had a single camera in the center yeah. like, towards the bottom. These are more vertically centered. And, uh, yeah. So could it be a mixed reality play at all down the road? Uh, it could be, but I think they, they're dependent on the developers actually yeah. doing something with this. And, uh, uh, you know, Vive hasn't been all about incentivizing developers in the same way that Oculus has. So I'm wondering if they... they if they have anything for them uh, because they didn't seem to show anything that used mm-hmm. the pass-through cameras in, in a new way. So yeah. I think this is an open thing that I, I want to hear about. Let's talk about base station 2.0. I know okay. I'm saving the wireless thing. <laughs> base station 2.0. They just talked about it. They mm-hmm. didn't really say when it was shipping or anything else well, like th- that. They, they announced it a while back, Yeah, but nothing had come out with the new sensors yet. So this is their, but Valve's suggestion was anyone doing VR who's working on the Vive platform should, and they're making hardware, go with the new sensors. So it makes perfect sense that they've used them here. Uh, they support a wider range. So potentially 10 meters by 10 meters. And, That's massive. Yeah. And also four lighthouses. Like the current Vive only supports the two. So it is massive. Like it is potentially much So is that, does that mean to you like an enterprise p- play? This isn't really about like the consumer at home? They've made that play. They have an enterprise package already for Vive, uh, which comes with its own dedicated support you know, phone line that you can call and uh, a license to do re- uh, retail, you know, actual... Uh, work so I don't. I'm sure that this will be a part of that too. But ten by ten, it's so massive. <laughs> like ten by ten yeah. in San Francisco is like three families live in that big of a space, <laughs> <I know>. right? <laughs> totally. Um, okay, let's get to the. Uh, You're excited about the wireless aspect. Well, uh, actually, I'm going to hold off one more thing. Ergon- <laughs> uh, sorry, it's the one end more of the thing. show. We're talking about wireless at the end of the show. Uh, ergonomics. Yeah, I mean, this is basically the Vive with the the updated head strap, except right. they've made some additions to it as well. It seems like have they? Um, they have the dial on the back, but it seems seated a little bit lower. And there's a pad right. back there which wasn't there on the on the front. They claim in the initial video, and I heard this from a, a couple reviewers that. That it's a little bit more, even more balanced than the, um, than the ad- additional head strap. They move the center of gravity a little bit back. Everyone always complained about the Vive being a little bit front heavy. Hmm. Um, that's one of those things we just have to test out and see yeah. how it feels. 
Uh, but from what I've read so far, the ergonomics are definitely improved. It feels lighter on your face, which is one of my chief complaints about the Vive to begin with. Oh, mm-hmm. the Vive standard without the Pro Audio strap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. The, that was Even with the, the Pro Audio strap, I still feel like it's heavy. So uh, it's if just they better made, supported. Yeah. So I think if they made improvements on that, I don't. Oh. Know, I just feel like that if you right now the word ergonomic doesn't need to be mentioned in the VR space. I mean, why? Just, I mean, because we're just so far away from it. We're all strapping bricks to the front of our face. <laughs> for the enjoyment of like it's worth it that's great but it's like it, it is not comfortable i totally disagree because i i mean i don't take ergonomics in the way they talk about ergonomics in in terms of like desk setup and all of that kind of stuff but they're using it for comfort it's a fancy word for comfort and if you're uncomfortable in vr you're not going to be able to stay in it for more than 15 20 minutes it's a trade-off it's a trade-off. Like, if you, it's worth it to be in VR, then you'll do it. You'll put up with it. But there's no way you would wear a VR headset for any other reason. Like, it's just there's it's just uncomfortable. You're cut off from the world. It's heavy. Uh, it's you get sweaty. There's clearly pixelation. There's a lot of problems that. We're, uh, and I, when, when we're ten years from now, looking back on this, you're gonna try to tell me that it was ergonomically sound. No, no, so. no. <laughs> I'm not trying to tell you that. I'm trying to. I'm saying that the the current vibe. Even with the deluxe head strap, I have a hard time getting past about a half hour yeah. with it on. Mm-hmm. And if these improvements take us from a half hour to 45 minutes, <laughs> that I mean, that sounds trivial, but that's a big deal. Dude, I spent a lot longer than that. I mean, I just watched Top Gun 2 in VR, you know? <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we did a podcast or not Top in Gun VR. 2. Top I was going to go like, Top Sorry. Gun 2? No, that would have been like... We Maybe bar- that's the killer app VR needs, we is buried, Top Gun 2. <laughs> we buried the lead. No, to- sorry, Top Gun 3D. All right, all right. Let's talk about wireless adapters. Okay. Yeah. So there's a first-party wireless adapter. (laughs) There you go. How are you not so over the moon excited about this? Um, because I don't. I don't. Guess I don't spend enough, like a a long enough time in VR for it to really matter that much. Maybe I've gotten used to cable management. I do want it. I just don't know if if I'm willing to pay for it. Oh, how, it, how much is it? What are we talking about? We we have no prices okay. on Nobody anything. Because this is huge for me because I'm the guy that trips over the cables all the time no matter how yeah, many yeah. times I play. I've almost lost several laptops to it and everything else. So it's like to me, decoupling this is a huge leap. For, no, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, it's just going to be expensive. I mean, it also, yeah. I mean, no doubt. I think we're going to talk about price next. But I think wireless also to me opens up the idea of where this can be. Yeah. Like in my house right now, it has to be in my office. Like bar none. Uh-huh. Now, if there's if it's wireless, I'm going to feel a lot more open about porting it to my living room. And I know that means <laughs> moving the computer in there, too. Okay. But in my living room, I don't want a bunch of cables. I'm not going to do cable management with a VR setup in my living room. It needs to be wireless if it's going to be there. And I think this opens the door to that. I get it. It's not like inside-out tracking can do it anywhere. Um, but that's where the vibe needs to live. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I think for most people with standard homes, living room's the biggest space uh, in their house, generally speaking. I mean, most people aren't dedicating bedrooms just to VR. I know there are probably a few listeners that do. Uh, I'm surprised that <clears throat> I'm surprised you, you feel that way, actually, that, that you need it to be wireless for it to be in the living room. Because I, I have my Vive in the living room, and it's true, the cables are, are a hassle, but the cables take up the space between me and the computer whenever, or whoever's using VR. And no one's going to be in that space anyway, because that's the VR realm. You don't want to enter that space, or you'll get hit in the face. I, you know, I'm I'm in the same boat with you, because like honestly, like for me, the family the family thing is like with the cables. I have we have to have a supervisor. So if yeah. the kids want to use it, there has to be a supervisor around. Without cables, 
less worried about supervising. Hmm. They can just get in and start playing. And I'm not worried about what they're going to step over, smash, or do whatever, what they're going to pull out of what system or anything like that. Hmm. Sure, they're going to bump into things or do whatever, but it's it's better than, than pulling a PC down onto the floor. It's also more elegant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's that's a step forward in and of itself. I also think the probably the bigger play is I don't think the Vibe Pro is something that that current Vive users are all going to jump on board no. for to upgrade to, regardless of what the price is, because there just isn't quite enough there um, that they're offering that you can't get through other means. Like you can just buy the deluxe strap to get the ergonomic effects. Ergonomics, ergonomics. I'm going to see, <laughs> see if I can irritate you that way. But uh, buying a wireless adapter mm-hmm. for your current Vive, that's interesting. I mean, it depends on how much. Yes, exactly. But I think that's something that people might invest in. Um, you know, I I have a uh, a friend who uh, who um, was posting last night. He's like, he's probably not going to buy buy the Vi Pro, but the wireless thing he might invest in, depending on what mm-hmm. yeah what the price point is. And so, for me, it's one step closer to the um, shared experience of VR that I'm I'm looking for. Like, if we can get multiple people in, in one singular shared experience without cables getting in the way, and you're moving around a room together, that's exciting for me, and that means we're getting that much closer to having that. Yeah, that's a good point. You you do really need wireless for yeah. that. Otherwise, you're doing a weird cable dance. Uh, the the wireless adapter won't be available until Q3, they're saying, uh, whereas the Vive Pro should be available sooner than that. Uh, no, They intentionally did not mention price. Mm-hmm. The dollar sign never came up in the presentation. Do you have any guesses? Both for what you think it's going to be and what it would need to be for you to Keep in mind, buy. there are no base stations, no lighthouses. And no controllers, so it's just the headset. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you can buy the Vive like that right now. No. So there's no precedent for this. Um, but I, I'm guessing five hundred dollars. What? <laughs> Was, what do you think? That's low or high? I think it's way low. It's just the headset. I get it, what it is. Okay. I just think the price they're going to come out with is going to be um, higher than that. Was, so when Vive came out, it was eight hundred. You got to understand this: the Samsung Galaxy Odyssey is. Uh, four hundred, right? Yeah. Well, Vive hasn't exactly responded to market pressures in the same way that Oculus has. They haven't been as worried about price. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I, I think they need to be, and that's why I'm thinking they're going to try to be more competitive. I think the five the five hundred mark sounds about right to me. Hmm. I, I think they kind of need to be there, especially if this is just an interim model we're looking at. Going I'm going to be shocked if it's below seven hundred bucks. Seven hundred. Yeah. Seven hundred. Wow. All right. I think the re- I think they really made a big deal about this resolution play, mm-hmm. and you. I don't think you make as big of a deal about this, uh, the and weird, then don't announce the price. The the uh, announcement video doesn't even mention resolution. That's the weird thing. They say but, improved optics, but the actual <laughs> presentation. That's all they talk about. Oh, was, I, I didn't actually watch that. Okay. So, uh, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but when I mean. This is missing something to to upgrade. I mean, oh. it doesn't have knuckles, which yeah. is what I, I think everyone wants mm-hmm. if in order to upgrade, along with the better resolution, uh, increased comfort, all of that kind of stuff. But still, still not a bad announcement and a great leap forward. Um, not the only wireless announcement at CES. TPCast, new TPCast 2.0. Is that what is that what it is? It's the 2.0. Anyway, they've upgraded their. Uh, TPCast products. TPCast so, Plus, as I think that's what they're what calling it, it. So if you haven't jumped on the TPCast and you're thinking about it, you're in, you're in luck because they've improved it. Not only um, uh, 
have they just uh, announced the product for the uh, for the Rift? But you can now will be able to get TPCast that has full microphone support. So that's been a problem. How do you think this is going to play with you know Vive coming out with their own wireless mm-hmm. adapter? Do you think that's going to kill TPCast's market around this? I I, I'm, I imagine that TPCast wasn't happy to see that announcement. But I yeah. don't know. I mean, I, well, what's, what's the improvements in the 2.0? Well, the the first one didn't support the microphone. So the so the microphone. Yeah. That, but so is there anything else beyond that? Uh, like, you don't. It's no longer a router. Like, do you know oh, how yeah, that worked? Yeah, it yeah. came with like an yeah, okay. actual Ethernet router. That's um, good. But so now it's just a wireless dongle. Okay. A little USB stick uh, that actually does the USB transmissions. So that yeah, that is good. Yeah, and Vive didn't partner with TPCast. They partnered with DisplayLink for the wireless um, adapter um, in in the Vive Pro. So I'm not. I'm not sure what this means for TPCast at all. Uh, it'll be interesting to actually interview them and talk to them about um, what their reactions are to the to the Vive announcement because I think it's natural to go to a manufacturer of mm-hmm. the headset to buy your wireless adapter rather than third party. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this doesn't just kill off TPCast. Well, well TP- the price this- might play a point in that, right? So this is true. Vive might have like a three times cost, and you're like, yeah, you know what? Gotta go with TPCast. Plus, TPCast is the only one doing it for the Rift. Yeah, this is this is true, but I think most uh, Rift users are probably using it in the office where it's not as big of a deal to go wireless. And Oculus Go is coming out this year, um, and Oculus Go made an announcement as well. In terms of, they don't really have a presence at CES as, as I understand it, but they do. They did make an announcement of who is manufacturing the Oculus Go headset. Yeah, who is that? Xiaomi. How do you pronounce it? I don't know. <laughs> this isn't the pronunciation <laughs> cast. Zaya <laughs> Omi. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's it. So there's really no new news about Oculus Go. I just, I'm excited for Oculus Go, and I wish that there would be more news about it. This is the $200? Yeah. I mean, it's like all-in-one Oculus uh, headset, which has no motion tracking. It has no um, motion track controllers, but it is basically like a... Um, a Gear VR that is all in one, so yeah. there's no phone. Like it's just a you know a headset that you throw on. Presumably, the it's just going to be VR everything. Just, you put it on and you're instantly in VR. There'll be some interface to a storefront. You'll be able to buy things. You'd never have to exit out uh, to an app and you know manage that whole aspect. So I'm excited for it. I've I actually I've never since I've been in VR. I've really only concentrated on the PC side. I haven't had I haven't had too much exposure to the gear vr side the the whole mobile side of vr so i'm excited to see what all that's about um so now we're one step closer to the, the release of that since they've announced the partnership with the uh the manufacturer xiaomi all right i'm gonna go with xiaomi all right xiaomi what sounds better if you're a tech company <coughs> maybe uh, it's show me think show me <laughs> wow <laughs> it should be show me i hope it is uh google Made an announce- Google and Lenovo made an announcement about a VR headset uh, launching in mid-2018, the Mirage Solo. Mm. Solo. I guess that's a word for 2018 is Solo this year. It's the word of 2018. So this is basically the, the Oculus Go version? It is a of- similar Oculus Go. They claim like something akin to inside out tracking, but not quite inside out tracking. Well, no, it is, right? Like, But the problem is that there's no software for it. So it'll support inside-out tracking for the headset, but it doesn't have track controllers. So, it has, so what's the point? Has your little pointer device that you know they all have now. But um, I'll be curious to see what software takes advantage of the inside-out tracking that the headset can do. We'll see. I, 
they said the price is somewhere or the verge reported the price will be under four hundred dollars but i don't know i realize this is a a step up from what the oculus go will be but that's a factor of two difference for probably what's going to be a very similar in-game experience to start off with right um, so I don't know how that's going to go over. Well, that's been my problem with all these platforms. They they don't launch with things that show you what they're good at. They they launch with all the same things, and then they, they feel like one version has a poor version of another game or whatever. And like we're looking at this thing, you look at the hardware, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what it really does. And I doubt we'll see anything that really shows that off. And then it's just another thing you pile on in your VR pile, looking for that next <laughs> headset that does something cool. And like that's what's kind of frustrating about all these right now is they're not showing you what they do very well. I You can't see it off camera, but there is a VR pile directly to my right. <laughs> it is a giant VR pile. <laughs> Shameful. Everybody has a VR pile <laughs> who's into this. <laughs> M- Mike, what have you seen? Have you spent much time in VR over the past couple of years? I, I have. You know, like um, because I, I do games, like we've been spending a lot of time in the PlayStation world and what's going on there. And also... We do a lot of R&D for things. I, and I get myself in trouble a lot because I'll mention things that are cool. And then I get a call like a week later going like, you don't talk. Don't talk about that. <laughs> but um, So Mike is getting ready to get some phone calls so based I, on let, what he's about me, to uh, say. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things where inside out tracking is exciting. It's not where it needs to be right now. Mm-hmm. And um, but the roadmap is really good. And that's that's one that we're spending a little time looking into right now. Um, and standalone devices. Again, back to the wireless and everything else. I think Vive and all these things are great for, you know, putting out, like, especially for high-end users. But these more casual standalone devices are, are really exciting because the, the numbers and the price and everything else is just great for us as a game company and what we can put out there. But we, we keep running into all these problems. And honestly, like, we were just even last week, um, we get... We get opportunities with large corporations that are like, here's what we want to do, here's our hardware, here's what, what it can do. You get it, and you look at it, and you're like, when's it going to do that? And they don't have an answer. They don't even know. They just they, they put hardware in, but they don't even know how it's going to work, and they haven't even really solved the problem. There's this big rush to put all these, like, basically different ways to track controllers, different ways to track uh, motion and your position and all mm-hmm. stuff, but they have no, like, to your point, Jeremy, they have no solution for that yet to really show off how it works. Or I don't even know if they actually know how they're going to solve it. They're actually trying to get the hardware out there and hope other people solve it. Right, chicken and, and egg. So that's why they're calling us because they're like, oh, you tell us. And I've had this situation many times before in games where like Nintendo and these guys are like, they would throw us things like a printer or whatever and say, like, make it work. And it's like, well, do you have any drivers? And they're like, can you make some? Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's like, we're experiencing that all over again with VR. So we're getting a lot of those situations where it's like, can you make it do it? What it's supposed to do? We'll put the hardware in. Can you make it do it? And that's that's not where we want to be right now, especially if this thing's going to move quickly forward. Everybody needs to be working together and sharing more resources and solving these problems. So right now I'm in this like weird funk on VR. I was so into VR last year. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like getting to this funk where it's like they're not solving problems fast enough to make it exciting for us to build content um, in, in, a, in a very uh, effective way, in a very quick, efficient Given way. Given that, would you like them to slow down some of the hardware iterations? Yes, because I don't think they've actually fully baked a lot of stuff. They move on to the next thing when they just feel nobody's adopting it. So it isn't because it's a really bad solution or anything like that. They just they just keep moving on until they find somebody who's going to just you know do something with what they're putting in. So I think they're rotating a lot. They're trying to find cost effectiveness in certain things. And so there's all this experimenting going on. And it's really hard for us to put an investment down and say, yeah, we're going to spend a million dollars on a game, like make a killer app. And then know that that market's like, – even just what we can do is going to change like every month as we develop. It's kind of challenging. What of the release titles have impressed you about <clears throat> from VR on any platform? 
you know, like um, I, I'm always I'm always left of center on some stuff or whatever. But like I, I do love uh, Bridge Crew. Uh, you did like that. I did yeah. like it. I, I think it's more complicated than what it should be like for a casual user or whatever. Hmm. But for me, I re- I like that. I enjoyed it. And I like the cross platform aspect of yeah. it. Um, and that that's why I kind of really got into it. With is like that's to me what it was like to pretend to be. When I was a kid, play Star Trek and everything like that. So now we get to have the tools to play that. I think it could be better, of course, and everything yeah. like that. And um, of course, I like Rick and Morty VR, um, which mm-hmm. was just dumb and fun and everything like that. But like nothing, I th- this is that line where I have to draw where it's like I was getting trouble. But it's like I've seen demos that like, it's it's like uh, like Blade Runner. Like I've seen things you wouldn't believe, right? <laughs> I've seen some incredible demos. Like they, they woo you with these demos. Like I'll go in with like you know, sign thirty pages of an NDA, go in and they show you this amazing demo, and you're like, I can make a thousand things with this technology, and then you never get that technology. It's like they really get you excited for it, hmm. and you leave the room. And then you're waiting and waiting, and they send you hardware that's not even like remotely close to where it needs to be, and that sort of thing. So that that's just killing me right now because like I, I, there's things I could talk about that I played last year that I thought were amazing. I don't know if they'll ever come out, or if the hardware is ever going to really support it. And the specs changing constantly. I feel like this might be the 2018 story of Magic Leap. <laughs> it might be right. So that's that's a really big question. Uh, there's a, a lot of people seeing what Magic Leap can do and all this sort of stuff, but like between now and when that thing comes out. What's really going to stick? It seems like social is such a big deal, and no one, none of the majors have nailed that yet. No. N- they haven't even incorporated it yet, really. Not, not at all. You know no. what I mean? Like in a real metaverse kind of way, where everyone can get together in some native environment? You're hitting the nail on the head. We're actually getting, like, we're having conversations where we're asking us if we can build that for anything we do. And it's like, that's a huge that's undertaking. That's a big deal. Like, no, and they're also asking developers to roll their own every time. And I think this needs to be something that's a more universal platform that comes from high up and everybody uses rather than, okay, everybody make their own ecosystems and hopefully it works. Again, back to the, we need to all be working together to make this great, not individually trying to like do our best and and never achieve the target. Making your own drivers. Yeah. Well, (laughs) exactly. Jeremy, let me see if I can interest you in a version of social VR. Okay. How about multiplayer wireless VR? Uh, well, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, DisplayLink, who did the wireless adapter, did a demo with one of your favorite games of last year, Racket NX. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You were you're really pushing that game. <laughs> uh, I mean, I liked it. It's a yeah, good no, game. Yeah, I mean, for, yeah. for reasons. But they <laughs> set up a green screen area mm-hmm. with wireless, uh, multiple people in, in VR with wireless adapters playing Racket NX. This is a Racquetball Tron combination game. Yeah, I don't know how else to That's describe good. it. It's like a 360 racquetball. And people seem to really love the experience. Mm-hmm. Now, that gives me hope for VR arcade more yes. than it does for at home, which I actually right. am functionally more excited about these days. But going out? Yeah, going out to VR arcade experiences ever since... You know, we saw the video of Mario Kart VR in the yeah. actual car, and, the, <laughs> and it just seems to make sense. And hearing, you know, Steve Lynn coming back from Japan and talking about the VR arcade experiences, yeah. uh, I would love to be able to play Racket NX at a VR arcade. That sounds stupid. With wireless. That sounds dumb. What? Yeah, I'm afraid that sounds dumb, Kishore, because it doesn't bring anything more to the table that you can't do at home. Like, Racket NX is great and in a bar or at home, but what, like... Uh, Mario Kart does differently is like they actually give you some hardware that you can use that in, it enhances the experience that you don't have at home. Sure, so, but multiplayer VR where you're actually there yeah. 
with somebody too you mean like in the next cubicle mm-hmm. or something yeah i don't know there's something to be said for that but i i think that that's probably like every multiplayer game that's just going to happen at home and then you're going to have have like the major championships like they did with echo arena mm-hmm. um at oculus connect this past year where they, they brought all the big players and they actually got up on stage and they played together and it was like a real tournament that you, everyone got to watch like that that'll happen i think that's interesting i would i would love for location-based vr to be a thing but it's more going to be like the void that's it. That's what it's going to be. In fact, I can talk about one thing I was working on that eventually just got canceled because it was going to be too expensive. But it was essentially that. Like we were, we started at the. Um, remember the old Vegas Star Trek experience? Oh so yeah, we, and we the started Hilton. there. Like what can VR? I totally missed that. Like I, I, oh, I wish I'd gone. So good. You would have loved it. Um, they had this amazing moment where you would kind of go in and you get teleported to the the, the Enterprise, and it's a, a cool trick of hand and everything else. So we started. We had a client. We started with that concept, and like, how do we take that further with VR? So the whole thing that we were working on, it's like you kind of go in, it's the old Battletech Center sort of thing where you, you suit up, you put your helmet on, your helmet has the visor, which is the VR thing, and it goes on. And the, the things we're trying to solve is um, the person who's putting the helmet on you, as soon as it goes on and the thing com- and your display comes in or think like that, you see them through, through now the display, mm. and they're still there. But, you know, so we had to come up with a way to costume the person or it's like a robot that's helping you do this stuff or whatever. So then they move you around. So you're in a hangar and you go out to basically... Um, it, it was really cool previous stuff, but it's like you go out to a hangar, there's all these ships, like imagine like X-Wings, and you're being ushered around and they're, they're helping get in. There's actually props there. There's, they're basically just wooden husks, mm-hmm. but to you, this is this amazing hangar, and like these things are all motion-controlled uh, seats and everything like that, and they, they put you in and everything like that, and you're able to look around, you see your buddies across the way and everything like that because you're in the helmet and it just looks like them and everything, thumbing up and everything like that. They close the cockpit, which is just this plywood thing, but you feel it, and you have all the switches where they're supposed to be, and then you just have this epic space battle, and then uh, you come land them back in, and they get you out, and they come in, and they take the flight suit off in the, the thing, and it just felt like you went through this seamless experience yeah. going in there and coming out. And so all those, all that prop work, all that synchronization with everything, that was like the hard tech to solve and that was going to be very expensive but it's all there like that, that stuff exists and that's what and other people are working on the same kind of thing and trying to build it out to where the minute you walk through a door you feel like you're transported somewhere and then from that moment on you're just interacting with things that feels real and, and like in that did that they moment. let you see the actual reality of the of the room no you like the users never yeah. get to see that yeah. so they are seeing everything through vr mm-hmm. and it just everything's tangible it feels right like when you're going up the steps there's somebody's helping you go up the steps but the steps are there and you look down you see these metal steps it's just blocks you know all that kind of stuff it's just a marked out weird room but you'll never see that i would pay good money for that yeah and it's a big and, multiplayer experience yeah and the and the void i think opened a star wars experience in, uh, in anaheim just recently yeah have you yeah. been down to see that yet? i haven't seen it yet and i can't wait to go down I, like uh i got offered tickets but i couldn't get down there <laughs> it's yeah. the worst has your brother tried it i don't know yet i'm gonna find out soon i think I'm, okay. i might be seeing him this weekend oh yeah that that sounds great i can't it wait sounds for that. so reviews good. have been mixed from what i can tell really of, of the experience so far the, the experience i've only done a void style experience once and it was from a local company that's just prototyping their, their thing and it was it blew my mind i mm-hmm. mean it was like next level vr it was really was I didn't think we were going to do this this year. It was like next level. And that's what The Void's doing with a budget. I'd love to do any of their stuff. I well, their motion tracking tech is basically using film motion tracking tech they're using mm-hmm. on, on set now, which is super fast yeah. and high acquisition rates and everything like that. So this stuff just all works. You can tag anything, and as it moves, you can relate it in full space for, for VR and everything. It just works out perfect. It maps one-to-one. 
And so for those destinations, I think that's where it's really going to pay off. And that whole, um, like, what Star Trek did that was really cool is, like, you go into this elevator, and then suddenly the lights all go out, and steam kind of comes up, and then you hear, like, the transport sounds. What they're doing at that time is they're rotating the room that you're in. Then they open these doors, and suddenly you're on the, like, you're basically on the Enterprise. And Mm -hmm. you're like, wait, the door we just came in, now we're, we're on the Enterprise. And then you look down, you're on the teleporters and all stuff. Doing that stuff with VR and like trying to get people convinced that they're they're experiencing that. Like with the the void, they have that same space they reuse over and over. Like you walk through a hallway, you don't realize you're slowly turning, come back to the same space over and over. So the columns are trees, columns are now columns in a building, columns are just like something like other aspects. With VR, you should be able to do it in a smaller <coughs> physical space than they had. Like that Star Trek yeah. space in Hilton was actually surprisingly big. Yep. Before, for, for as much you know. Uh, compared to other, you know, with VR you can trick you can yeah. trick the mind so much easier and have a smaller space and it, it just works. You don't question it. Yeah, no, I always say like VR has they flipped uh, suspension of disbelief. Yeah, so you now have to like retain belief. Yeah, so, or else you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think before long we're going to be able to scan our houses, yeah, the, the interiors of any space with nice fidelity, mm-hmm. and then be able to map environments onto that and, so, and do a void style thing in your living room that that i think is ideally where we should be going because that that's like arcade translations the home in the early 80s like oh right. the home version won't be as good as the destination but you're still gonna get something similar <laughs> exactly with inside out tracking and mixed reality headsets uh like on the horizon where it's actually true mixed reality mm-hmm. uh the what, tools that wh- come with these devices actually do that now they mm-hmm. map your spaces and you see them in 3d they're not the best Right, you know, resolution or anything like that, but it's kind of cool. And it goes back to an early demo. One of the first VR demos I did with mixed reality, which I blew my mind, was the out of body experience demo. I don't know if you guys did this. Um, I don't know if it was Vive or somebody else. It was a mo- it was a rigged up headset, and like I was given a controller, and I'm saying I hadn't done VR yet, really. So this was already mind blowing to me. I'm put this headset on, I'm like, oh, it's the same room I'm in, but now it's all I could tell it's 3D. They're like, move forward, so I move forward, and they're like, turn around, turn around. And I see myself being acquired live from 3D cameras. Mm-hmm. I'm all kind of bumpy and weird looking, but it's like. So I'm like immediately I go around I'm like oh man like I look like that like this looks awful <laughs> like that's my butt like oh it's great but it was a weird out of body experience to be moving around seeing my hands moving but I'm not associated with my position and yeah. stuff like that so that stuff's there and it's it's getting better and better but it's just not been uh, consumer friendly uh, enough yet. All right, so we're we're at the not excited anymore phase, heading into a more excited than ever phase. Yeah, because all the pieces are there. Right. But nobody's doing anything with it. And it's okay. driving me crazy. It's almost like the the ecosystem of like the business ecosystem needs to improve. It's not the tech. It's not a technology problem. Yeah, it's, we're going to run into that problem that games have a lot, where people are like, "I got burned in VR. I put millions in. I did all stuff." It's like, but like if you put millions in, you should have known this was a long burn. Like it's not. It wasn't going to be solved in like five years. It's, it was going to be solved in twenty. And like you have to be in for the long haul. And if you can't do that, don't just back away from VR. Let somebody else take the lead and, and put the money in because it's it's really we're getting so close you and like you're talking about like with the interim 1.5 on the vive right like we have to have those we have to support those we got to try to be excited about that stuff because if we if we're not investors and where all the money's coming from is gonna be like okay we tried it's done it's 3d tvs all over million 90s 80s again yeah exactly <laughs> well we're recording this on a wednesday cs is still happening there's probably going to be more vr ar mr GR, I'm sure, is going to be a new thing. I don't know. I'm just making up letters now. Um, That'll come out, and we'll probably talk about them in more depth next week. But for now, we're going to move on to tech news. We're not going to do a sound cue. No, we're not. But I'll just say, technology news. News. All right, here we are. We're in tech news now. (laughs) And I'm going to try something a little different. Um, I'm going to give you a rundown of things I've heard of Uh so far from CES, and I want to get your reaction to the 
concept and idea. Okay. And we're going to try to do this in a non-cynical way. So I'm not going to be talking about smart bathtubs and, <laughs> you know, all sort all of those ridiculous products that you see at CES. Um, and we're only a couple days in, so this is just like a, a limited view based on what I've read so far. But I'll give you my first thing. For obviously, the biggest news coming out of CES <laughs> is that tech journalists can't handle rain. That's the biggest <laughs> news coming out of CES so far. But I'm going to start with AR glasses because that seems like an area that there's been a lot of development in. The product that caught my eye the most is the View 6. Yeah. So imagine a thick rimmed pair of glasses. And uh, the rim is so thick that on the sides here at the temple, there's enough room for a little you know, swipe bar. It actually puts the screen up in the in the lens. It looks like you're almost wearing like sunglasses. Um, and it displays a Google Glass-like scene um, in that lens. It's integrated with Amazon Alexa. So you have that capability. It even has a browser in it. Firefox is built in, so you can actually <laughs> browse the web. It has limited things that you can do. You can browse photos, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a camera, so you can take pictures of the world. But it doesn't appear to the people around you like you're wearing Google Glass. Right. It doesn't look ultra techy. Initial reactions. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm intrigued. First of all, I'm, I'm intrigued because The Verge freaking loved this device. The, the guy who saw it. Over the moon. Like, I, you, don't, you don't usually see this kind of level of excitement from prototype products, um, especially AR products. So, I don't know. I, I'm intrigued by it. Uh, the price point is going to be about a thousand dollars. Thousand for this? Huh? Yeah. So that that's for me. That to me is trouble. I think anytime. I think we have to suspend price disbelief. That's true. In <laughs> this true. section, because it's like we're talking about mostly prototype type yeah. stuff. Yeah. It, it looks it looks okay. And I, I mean, it's weird. Like, are you gonna? So are you gonna see the projection? You're gonna see like the fan. If I was looking at you, I would still see the phantom screen for yeah. sure. Um, You'd see my disinterest in our conversation because I'm looking at something totally different. That's it. Like if you the, the video, the promo video for this is hilarious because they are straight faced, legitimately pitching this as a product that lets you put your phone in your pocket so you can still make eye contact with people while checking social media. <laughs> like that's it. That's the sales pitch. Like you can actually get Twitter while looking at someone in the eye. <laughs> and, and I don't think that's going to fly as well. See, as I, I think, think you, it will. I think you nailed it. I think there's been a lot of chatter so far about. Like, oh, AR glasses are here, but they haven't solved the social issue of AR glasses still that still came with Google Glass. They made a more discreet, elegant version of Google Glass, but haven't solved the fact that you're basically giving people a heads up display so they don't have to pay attention. Well, for a while, I really thought, you know, I think there's it's misleading to think that Google Glass failed because of how it looked. Uh, I mean, it was basically that social interaction that drove people crazy. It's uh, somebody sitting there, exactly. that holier than thou kind of thing that kind of comes from somebody who has the cool tech that nobody else has in the room. All that kind of stuff was just all piled onto it too. And this, I don't see this dodging that bullet. All right, all right. It, it does look better than Google Glass. It does. I, I would certainly love to see it. My, one thing that bothers me is it's not stereo. You know, because oh it's, yeah, like Google Glass, it's just in the one eye. Yeah. <clears throat> so I, I really want. I think both eyes wouldn't be safe. Yeah, I mean, can you strain one eye versus the other? Will you have that Popeye problem where one eye is just going to have an issue that the other eye won't have because of this? I just, I just want stereo. You know, I want actual. I want to touch stuff. I want to that's, like that's called overlay. VR, man. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to. Like, I'll forget when your birthday is, and I want it to be above your head. Like, that's what I want from AR. 
So I'm waiting a while. Ultimately, I think at the end of the day, people want that sort of thing that's going to help them remember people's names when they go somewhere or yeah. whatever, or you know, yeah. go to the bar and get like their Yelp reviews of everybody in there or whatever <laughs> that kind of stuff. I, which is all privacy issues. But this looks like old man glasses too at the same time. <laughs> well, right? I mean, they look way better than they did like two years they, ago. They do. Yeah. They do. And uh, apparently, they're comfortable. I'm going to be slightly cynical about this until you know I, I try it for myself. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How about a TV that actually rolls up into a box? I love that. Samsung I, announced a TV that literally <laughs> disappears into a box and it rolls into a roll. It wasn't Samsung. It was LG. Oh, it was, it was LG. LG. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. It rolls, it rolls up like a poster. Like you can put it in a poster tube and then. Yeah. It's, that, it's really cheap uh, shipping for this TV. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> your carry on for your like, nice 50 inch TV. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting because it has different levels. Like you, it'll mat itself to the width of the of the movie. So, oh wow! You know, so you don't get black boxes anymore. Yeah, and it even has a mode where it's ultra widescreen, where it's just used for like information, the weather, and huh. tw- Twitter streams. Um, they, it's a total prototype. Like LG themselves don't even make TVs; they have to LG Electronics yeah. does. So they'll sell this technology to somebody who'll make a TV out of it. But it's just neat that flexible displays have gotten to this point. Flexible display, interesting. This application, not interesting. <laughs> no. Uh, it's know. cute and funny. I mean, do you see a, a, like an application of flexible displays, though, that would be interesting? Board game night. Oh. Roll it out on a TV, put all your stuff on it, and you have your board games going. Oh, I like that. So if it's, then you if roll it's it and put it in the just, box, everything else. It's not, just, it's, it's not just rollable and flexible. It's that it's portable. Yeah, that to me that's exciting because I can just I can lay it on flat and play pinball on it, or I can do whatever. Like I'm looking at the interactive aspects of it versus watching. That's movies. interesting. Like the old Microsoft Surface, yeah, prototypes. If you had that in a entertainment device, and I can put it on any surface in my house rather than having the Microsoft Surface box, I have to find exactly. a place where I can put it on my coffee table. And now we're doing stuff. If that it's way. reactive and it plays yep. games, that would or be I'm neat. watching a show and I'm sitting there browsing on my coffee table with this thing laid out flat and like somehow looking up stuff that's going on on the show. Or well, that would work on an iPad just as easily. Yeah, but maybe. I like the idea of a social board game. Oh right. People gathered around it. Imagine just yeah. having those little like Microsoft pucks and playing Warlords with four people on a table. <laughs> Warlords came up last time you were here. I know. I, I we well, <laughs> it's always on my brain. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm right now He's trying playing to con- a game right I'm now. trying to convince plug and play companies to let me make a Warlords <coughs> game that they can just ship with four, four, four paddles. Did you did you see oh god. Uh, I don't remember all the details of this. I'll, never mind. Continue. All right, all right. <laughs> Next product. All right. All right. We lamented the loss of the fingerprint sensor last year when Apple switched to Face ID until we tried Face ID and it worked really well. Mm-hmm. But what about a, f- a fingerprint sensor? That's embedded in the screen. It's not a, it's not an actual piece of hardware. The screen itself can yeah. operate as a fingerprint. I thought sensor. that was impossible. That's why we have Face ID. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that was the reason. <laughs> there is a prototype phone uh, called the Vivo phone that actually, um, it's a OLED screen that uh, actually takes a, a photo. I mean, it comes up in a specific point. It seems to take okay. use like reflective nature of your fingerprint, uh-huh. a, a version of a photo. Uh, and can do a fingerprint scan on the screen hmm. with reliability. Yeah, who knows? Right. Like this, <laughs> like we don't have enough information about Honestly, that. Like the first... But let's let's you know, uh, you know, uh, extrapolate that. Yeah, let's say it is reliable. I, I, great, bring it back. I don't face ID is fine, but touch ID is better. 
Bring mm-hmm. it back. That's what I want. I just think of evil things where it's like you have an app that nobody knows when they're touching that's getting their fingerprints Ooh. and all that sort of stuff to yeah. do all kinds of nefarious things with. Good point. I might be evil, but like those are the first thoughts that come to my mind. <laughs> I mean, you were just talking about Warlord, so you might be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think this is really cool. Uh-huh. It's really cool. Um, this idea is is amazing because now we can have edge to edge in a way that still integrates, you know, tactile touching. In it. And, you know, this... I always think of these weird ideas, but like going back to the Microsoft Surface, this means we can actually have things that we can set on these surface or these displays that can be read as well. It doesn't have to be a fingerprint. It means it's getting fidelity enough that we can huh. place like a little thing on it and twirl it into our stuff and have an interface yeah. that's being read that way. Uh, th- this quick story you, yeah. uh, along the lines of like the Warlords era. Ken Levine uh, tweeted on the 5th that when they started Irrational Games, they very briefly consulted on a reboot of Sinistar. Oh. There was one. Uh, was there? Like in the 90s for PC, three, the first 3DFX cards. Oh, my God. Like Sinistar Unleashed or something like that. I don't even know what oh, Sinistar no. is. Yeah, yeah. I remember, remember that? that. Yeah. It was a 3D version huh. of Sinistar. Sinistar is great. That's like one of those games that you can still play today and just like totally. see the brilliance of it. But People are going to school me on what Sinistar is in the comments. I've, I don't remember this All right. All. So just really quickly, there, there's you're out in this asteroid field and you're mining ore in these asteroids. And the, the ore is actually being used by these enemies to build the Sinistar, which is a giant metal skull that tries to eat you when it it's fully formed and born. I love that you go straight for a story. I know. Yeah, this like is the story of this eight bit arcade game. <laughs> so is but it like asteroids, the, but a little bit better? It's, it's, it's better and it has like full map that you're traversing eight directional. But the, the, the scariest part about it is this thing sounds freaky. It's it has a voice when it comes over and it's like, I live. And then it starts screaming as it's chasing you. Like this shrill scream that just like makes you crap your pants. And like it was a freaky game. You're not selling me on this game. You should play it. It's really, it's really controls, right? It, it, it was like, twenty-two direction joystick. Yeah, so you could it's just accurately fly in whatever direction by just pointing okay. that way. Well, all right. Crap, my pants is not a good review, though. I'm gonna well, say, you know, like a. All right, for some people. Back to CES. <laughs> couple more, couple more products. Okay, a be- do you guys have multi monitors at home? Yes. Your desktop. Yep. How about a bezel kit that you line up your monitors Ooh. together? You put this little kit. Uh, you attach it. It actually, you know, reads the screen and creates this like blended effect, so you can have a seamless hmm. monitor across. Probably only works if you have the same monitor. Yeah. Okay. That uh, that sounds interesting to me. If I, it's cheap enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, it just made me realize I could probably three D print something to line up my monitors better than they are now, mm-hmm. um, which I might do now. But I don't think I need that. It looks okay in the pictures. You get that blended effect that you've seen. You know, we've seen elsewhere. I think. Um, with uh, certain gaming applications, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I'm less intrigued about it the way I currently use my monitors, which is basically has like separate screens. And yeah. is this a, a CES announcement? I mean, yeah, it was at CES. Like a little p- plastic piece of like a ten dollar th- item. Yeah, it's huh. um, uh, Asus came out with it. Huh. So not a small company <laughs> either. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, okay. They believe we're gonna get weirder. Right. Okay. Razer announced Project Linda. Now, Razer is is known for coming out with some interesting hardware. Project Linda is a laptop dock. But think of a laptop, but instead of the touchpad here, the Razer phone goes in there. And so the Razer phone powers the entire laptop. (laughs) What? (laughs) Really? It's built on the Snapdragon 835 platform. (laughs) All right. Wow. And you can now use, because your phone is embedded where you're touchpad would be you can use your phone as a mouse mm-hmm. 
in that way, or it can actually operate as a second screen as well. Okay. Now, people have used Razer Phone to actually do some editing, like Lightroom kind of editing of stuff. So oh, I it believe has that. a little bit of power to it. Phones are good now. Um, okay, reactions to... It's definitely neat. I like I, looking at the pictures. I was actually thinking of applications that would be really fun, where it's like I go into something like Photoshop and I have my color picker go down there and all this stuff, and turning the touchpad into something more useful. Yeah. Than just always just navigating is is, is definitely something I'm I'm uh, excited about. And I, I think again, this is just like the VR thing. People have to make this stuff, and it's just a, such a one off product. Like who's gonna who's yeah. gonna invest in this? But I like the idea. The docking looked cool. How much is it? Uh, I don't know if I saw the announcement of, of price on it because it has no very little smarts in it. It's a display no. and, and a port. It's a display and, and a keyboard and a battery. Oh, I thought you said the. Oh, so it also powers the phone. Oh, well, that's good. That's interesting. Come on. No, what I thought, are you guys doing? I thought the phone was powering this everything. This is ridiculous. No, that's how good. are we? How are you guys being so positive about this? I, thing? I, you know what? This is weirdly. It's it's kind of intriguing. No, no. I think this is very forward thinking. I think it is forward thinking, but we're not. I don't think that phone has enough power to do anything I want to do with my laptop. Oh, oh yes, it does. Not <laughs> nearly battery life. No, maybe you not us. It, it can barely power that screen maybe not all day. Us, how is like, it going to power another screen? Think about how many people just use their laptop for Facebook and everything else, and then their phone, they have the two. Like To them, this is a good solution. They can actually do their... For a Chromebook-type solution? Yeah, like a Chromebook thing. Yeah. I'm Even beyond that, we're just a year or two away from it being whatever you want. We were at the convergence in 2018 mobile and pc coming into one yeah you guys are sponsored by razor or something this way uh, this way i think it's totally <laughs> interesting but i mean it's, it comes down to price you know what of it, course if it's all a, of these things if it's a hundred bucks it's like it makes a lot of sense all right intel came out with some mini desktop pcs the nuck uh, um mm-hmm. and they have a couple that i think are intriguing um ones that are running vega gpus AMD Vega GPUs. That feels weird to say Intel is producing a thing that runs on the AMD <laughs> yeah. chip, but yeah. whatever. Okay. Um, these are uh, the Hades Canyon, which is what it's called. It's powerful enough to run VR in a mini form factor. Hmm. Can I interest you well, in a th- mini desktop? Right. No. I mean, I suppose you could make it into some sort of backpack VR solution. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. I mean, people do that with laptops. Yeah. The fact that we have laptops that are VR capable makes me less surprised that this is possible. Mm-hmm. But what the the nukes sell for a uh, three hundred dollars or so? Maybe, is it nuke? Maybe four. We, we I've, I've, nuke. I've always said nuke. Oh, let's call it nuke then. I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> this is my norm host, not me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's that's that's cool. I don't know. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. Core i seven, mm-hmm. lots of RAM. Yeah. There you go. Um. I like that small form factor. I use the the nuke inside my MAME cabinet. Oh, you do? A little desktop MAME cabinet. And it, it works great. I, uh, I love that, that it, it exists. And it'll be a DIY kit like all the other ones mm-hmm. before it. I'm actually a little higher on this than you guys. Okay. I think backpack VR is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, we do, where did we try backpack VR here at Tested? Um, we did it at uh, Comic-Con two years ago. Okay. And it was awful. Because <laughs> we put one of those like massive, um, uh, I can't remember who made them. We put a massive laptop in a backpack and carrying it around. It was so heavy. Yeah. Well, so what's going to win out, wireless or backpack? Because they're they don't need each other. I think wireless win because I just can't imagine 
that's with the vive but but also like the, I, I still like the smaller form factor for these. Okay. Nukes, and it's DIY. All right. So you're saying there was a faster, small computer announced at CES. Yeah. All right. Good news. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about high-end gaming displays? Oh, yeah. Um, Th- this is crazy. Yeah, this is nuts. NVIDIA came out with some supersized gaming displays. 65-inch, <laughs> 4K, 120 hertz. HDR displays. 120 hertz, 4K, 65 inch. <laughs> the, the cool thing is, like, they support G Sync. So, oh, that's cool. Like, that, yeah. Because your computer probably can't do 120, no. 4K. No. So, whatever it can do, the monitor will display. It'll take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to watch movies, <laughs> this will take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to. I don't know what else. For those who are really into true motion, that default setting that most people hate in TVs, oh this God. can actually go up to a high frame rate and make it even seem more real and horrible. <laughs> 65-inch monitor. Is it, they didn't announce a price, I don't think, but these displays must be... Like, Out of fear, probably, they should sun. announce a price. Yeah, this is a ridiculous level. I, I mean, they must... I mean, this is one of those things that I actually wish I was at CES to see yeah. because it's something that you can't replicate in video or, or yeah. in a written piece at all. Um so I'm sad not to see this. No, no practical application. <laughs> <laughs> Though I know Norm is probably hearing this yeah. and being like, "I want that. He's, I need yeah. a 65." He, he's justifying it over the next two weeks. He'll come back with what eight thousand dollars? <laughs> man, man for something that should so be sixteen thousand dollars. Yes. <laughs> uh, to, uh, that's it for CES for now. Oh, There's right. probably a bunch more CES. That will happen over the next couple of days. We'll have a full rundown of CES next week. Our guests next week will have actually been at CES, too, so we can talk a little bit more in depth. Two tech stories left before we move on. Okay. We never talked about Meltdown Inspector. Mm. The news broke last week as we were recording about Meltdown Inspector. Let's talk about it. I mean, this was probably the biggest security flaw in... Yeah, I, in computers in in years. I have to be honest. I did not follow this. I saw that Apple released a patch yesterday for Spectre, and I installed it. That's as far as I got. So, tell, explain to me what the dangers are. I, I'm going to do my sort of simplified version because it gets really technical really fast. But as far as I understand it, that uh, the kernel as it shares memory processes can be read through these sort of pre- like there's a way that. The kernel's trying to predict certain processes and uh, allocates that in a, in a predictable way. So somebody can come in and sort of map those things over time and actually access the the memory that it, it's sort of using and, and predict everything from like, well, now you're in the kernel. So everything, right? Yeah. Everything <laughs> from passwords to... It's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle with like fragments that you get over time and then trying to see if you can find passwords and other things in there. But it takes time. It's an ideological thing that's been around for since the 90s. (laughs) And only now are we really looking at going like maybe that's not good and it could be exploited. So, and so everybody was affected. So was it exploited? I don't. I don't think it was actually exploited to any serious. We. Way. I don't. We think don't we know. know. Yeah. And I don't think they'll tell us for yeah. a little while, because the way I think we found out about Meltdown Inspector were were papers coming out from Google. Right. Yeah. Basically, like, and it was a collaboration with like, uh, I think there was an academic institution. Mm-hmm. There was Google. There was um, some other companies involved that all came out and said, "Here's this vulnerability we've been studying." For a while, yeah. so they must know of. I bet they know of a. There has been instances si- of people yeah. attempting this. E- exactly, 
Um, but the patches came out instantaneously. Like at least a, from what I understand, Meltdown was is easy to patch mm-hmm. against. Inspector not impossible to patch against. But this, I mean, I don't recall a vulnerability on like the chip level in yeah. a long time. How is it so easily patched at the, at the OS level if it's such a deep they, vulnerability? So you can you can opt in to use this predictive. The way I understand it, you can opt in to use this predictive processing, which makes your system feel faster and ah. punchier. And so you can choose not to use that. You can like go another path, which makes things seem a little slower in some cases, uh, but it still won't use it. So for many, it's like it'll just it's almost like forcing the default to not use it. Uh, that was like the first most instantaneous way of doing it. And then there's some more nuance and stuff to it and things they had to do. But it could be solved in software a bit. But still, anybody who's writing anything can get around that and still try to go to the CPU and force things to go to the CPU, hmm. um, that sort of thing. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, it's got to be patched. And I think there's going to be – there's a lot of people just complaining about, oh, it's going to hurt performance here and there. But not, you're not going to really notice, I don't think. Are game consoles vulnerable? They are, but – Again, the, the the things that it was optimizing, I don't think is going to really affect the performance of the games and everything on the platform. So, for most, I think it's just going to be a silent update, and you won't even know you're you're safe again. And this seemed like when it when it dropped was one of those like tech journalists lost their mind. They were like, "This is the biggest security story uh, in the past five years," and a the- week later. It's like almost disappeared because it could get it taken care of and also I think a lot of people got really excited because this is something new it's not like a g- general virus or any of these sorts of things this is something that's like oh nobody thought about this and it's such an old vulnerability that's been around for so long who knows what's happened as a result of it yeah it's it's interesting because it's, it wasn't like you could point your finger at Microsoft and say oh there's a hole in Windows yeah exactly or you know Apple made their first big flop it's like Nope. This and is then everybody's deep. like, we've all subscribed to this technique. Yeah, exactly. And so it wasn't just like, oh, Intel screwed up, which right. it was the way it was launched. Everybody thought, oh, it's an Intel problem. And even AMD and these guys were kind of like, yeah, it's an Intel problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, it was everybody did it. And Apple came out, like you said, they came out and owned it up to it too. Well, it'll be interesting to track over time. Um, but who knows what's going to happen? I'd be interested to hear from listeners if they yeah. uh, know of instances where this has actually been exploited. Or uh, if they've noticed any detrimental yeah. effects from the patches. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of people out there right now saying they're seeing all this detrimental effect, but I haven't noticed anything at all. And I'm pretty keen on what's going on with my machine and what kind of performance I need, and I haven't seen anything. Oh, did Microsoft, like, force an update? I think so. Because well, I, I, I had a, a, when that all hit, I had updates on everything. My yeah. computer rebooted last night, and I wondered why. That's <laughs> probably why. Yeah. That's just owning a Windows 10 PC these days, right? That's <laughs> it's just once a month. Random reboots. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. when you say you don't want it. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> You just come back. Um, one last story, and it's really because Mike mentioned Bridge Crew VR is one of his favorite mm-hmm. games. Bridge Crew is not just VR anymore. That's right. Ubisoft um, ported it so that anyone can play it. And frankly, I don't think that game needed to be VR. No, it didn't with the really. game mechanic. Um, and I don't think you really use VR. It's really just about immersion yeah. and, and presence in that space. Mm-hmm. So this totally makes sense. There'll be a lot more players available in the in the game as well at this this rate. So I'm all for that. Totally, more people to yell at yep. that they're not performing their tasks <laughs> admirably, which is our experience at Bridge Crew, <laughs> Helmsman. I don't think anybody walks away friends after playing Bridge Crew. Really, yeah, it's a tough game. <laughs> uh, I think we have a message from Norm. Oh my gosh, do I have to play audio? I think we have to play audio. Oh, I apologize. Bear with me. Let's see. This um, is this is going to be interesting. And bear with him because we have a special segment coming up next. Bear with him being me or, or no? Bear bear with right, here us. We go. Here we go. Please work. 
Hey everybody, Norm here, letting you know that this week's episode of This Is Only A Test is brought to you by the podcast The Art of Charm. The Art of Charm is an iTunes Top 50 podcast that's packed with wisdom in the true sense of the word. Uh, from how to become more productive and professional to how to read body language, network, and negotiate, it's a show that covers anything to help you become a high performer at home or at work. It brings together interesting people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye, and Shaq to discuss things like relationships, life hacking, and success. It's highly addictive and strives to be fun and educational at the same time, so not just stuffy textbook stuff, because personal growth shouldn't be boring all the time. You deserve an extraordinary life, so go to theartofcharm.com slash podcast or search for The Art of Charm on, po- on iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts and start taking your life to the next level. We really enjoy this show and think you will as well and thank them for sponsoring this week's episode. And now back to our show. So I'm taking advantage of the fact that Norm isn't here mm-hmm. to announce our first ever mm. annual tested awards, the testies, if you will. <laughs> that's not good. We that's did, not good. Not good. That's workshop where, that. That's where you play music right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where you play music. But I was watching the Golden Globes this weekend, and I realized we should have an award show of our own here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what I've done is come up with a few categories, okay. and we're going to go through and discuss our favorites in these categories. These are down-the-middle categories. This shouldn't be hard to do. Uh-huh. We have four awards that we're handing out. Okay. Four first-ever testes wow. we're handing out. And the first category is no monologues here. Huh. First no. category <laughs> is best movie of 2017. That's easy. That's the only one that's easy for me. Wow. But, uh, I'm sorry, I guess I'll go first. Yeah, go ahead. Ahead. You said it's that easy. <laughs> Your nomination, yeah. sir. Uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner, far and away. This is a year that saw two Pixar films, a Star Wars film, and it wasn't even close. Blade Runner, 100% 2049. And I don't, I'm not even the biggest fan of the first one. I loved it. I saw this film like a week or two late. I was one of four people in the theater. And I went home listening to the soundtrack. You didn't take that as evidence that uh, not that many people agree with you, that four people were in the theater with you at Blade Runner? Dude, that, that movie should have done so much better than it did. It is blow away. It is just like visually and auditorial amazing. Amazing. I'm going to agree with you 100%. It was Blade Runner for me as well. And I liked a lot of movies this year, but Blade Runner, hands down, was a league ahead of everybody else because I went into that... One, as a parent, it's hard to go see a three-hour movie yeah. of any kind. Yeah. So, like, it was hard to try to find the time to go do it. And when I went, I was just so – I was not optimistic at all about doing a sequel to Blade Runner, which is one of my favorite films, too. So I'm a little mm. biased here. But I went in expecting so many things. And even seeing things online, I had all these expectations. And it didn't go there. And it surprised me. And it was at a, it had a deeper level to it than I expected uh, for this to ha- for, for it. I, I didn't expect Ridley Scott – his involvement in this after seeing Alien Covenant and all right. these other things to be able to bring together a team that could pull this off and, and they, they did I thought they pulled off with flying colors I've watched it now three times so yeah it's out on it's home on, video yeah, now it's out on home on video iTunes so. and HD, I think that's a movie uh, theater movie though it is a movie theater movie you're absolutely right like, it's, it's, it's great to experience there but I still enjoyed it at home just as much but I, I'm glad I saw it oh, wow I'm gonna get crowded out here because I thought Blade Runner was good mm. it was not nearly my my top movie and i haven't seen all of the oscar movies by any stretch of the imagination <clears throat> yeah lady bird is probably my favorite like oscar contender mm-hmm. i think that was a great very sweet yeah. um coming of age movie um and surprising twists and turns 
I'll give a nod to Wonder Woman to breaking the DC curse, but yeah. like empirically, it's still not that good of a movie. I think Logan was actually the best superhero movie of 2017. Hmm. Coco is the one that made me feel the most. Yeah, I felt that movie. Uh, yeah. good. And visually spectacular, but my favorite movie, without a doubt, is Get Out. Oh. Get Out was singularly came out of left field, the most surprising, uh, most impactful. Hmm. I don't like horror movies, and I love that movie. You know, I, I forgot that that was a movie for this year, uh, this last year. And um, you're you're right about that. This was as a result of that movie. Now he's he's heading. Jordan Peele's heading up the new Twilight Zone series. Uh, but that movie actually came. It came out of nowhere. I had no idea what it was. I had no expectation going in. Far better than I could have ever anticipated. Ninety nine percent Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I, I think that movie. I mean, it's a good movie, but it also benefited by just coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think that, like, there's other movies that just had a lot more hype that were probably good. I think Shape of Water is probably going to suffer from that yeah. um, right now. Which but, is a beautiful movie. But it now, like, Guillermo del Toro has won a Golden Globe for yeah. it. And, like, it's it's starting to get that kind of conversation, which I think will hurt that movie. I just think Get Out was is the one that I'll watch again, too. It, I, I mean, how, how often do we see a word-of-mouth movie get so successful? And this was a this really was a word of mouth movie, like you said. The the marketing wasn't really there for it, and and it was a success already. And this like this, I, as a, a student of sci fi and and of those types of movies, this felt like a new story yeah. too. And in a in a land where it's just sequels everywhere, yep. this actually felt like a slightly new universe, and I lo- I loved it. I haven't seen it. Oh yeah, I can't wait to see it now. It's not good. I'm trying to help you out. (laughs) (laughs) Expectations are trying to help you out. All right. Next category. Best TV and or streaming television experience. I went first last time. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, I want to I want to give a couple shout outs to Master of None. This year was spectacular in its uh, experimentation with different types of storytelling Mm -hmm. from that initial black and white episode. If you want to know more about Master of None, just watch every episode. It's still entitled. I think it's Adam's favorite TV show of this year. Um, Didn't that win a Golden Globe? uh, Aziz did win a Golden Globe. Uh, The Good Place, underrated network comedy, um, just a brilliant conceit um, about the afterlife and being heaven or hell and, and how you get there and just incredible cliffhanger from season one this is from Mike Schur who worked on The Office and just really twisted around in season two excellent my winner out of nowhere Legion which was on FX um, which is a sort of a mutant story but really different type of mutant story and that's why I think it's my favorite is that um, it didn't rely on their powers to tell an interesting story it told an interesting story and then people with powers were involved in it and I think people have forgotten about Legion because it was in February. I think it came out. Hmm. <laughs> well, I'll come out of left field. Uh, I did like. I, I didn't. I haven't seen Legion, so now I'm. That's the one I'm going to go and have my homework on. Um, but I, my second runner up was probably Orville. Oh, because that's one where I was expecting Family Guy meets Star Trek. Yeah, and exactly. I had no hope for it. That, that's why I still haven't watched it because I can't get past that. I know, and say it, like it took me three to four episodes to finally realize, like, oh, this is great. Yeah, and then I keep the stories that. get better and better. Yeah, and it's 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 so much better than Star Trek Discovery to me. Mm. <laughs> that like it's the if, Star Trek show I want. If if you like TNG, Orville is totally for you because yeah. it tells a very similar 
style of story. I still feel like the Orville suffers from like having one or two of those Seth MacFarlane jokes in every yes, episode. That, that's, that if that's they just biggest problem. Get, get rid of them, it would be great. It doesn't need them at all. It just the show stands on its own. Doesn't need any of that. But that was my that was my kind of my runner up because I was just another out of nowhere kind of thing where expectations were completely flipped. Um, I like really funny, dumb things, and for me, the second season and final season of Vice Principals was amazing. If you haven't seen Vice Principals yet, this is uh, basically the conceit is: what if the faculty of a school? had the high schooler mentality and as the students who were like the adults and the mature that's kind of the setup it's just joke after joke it's two vice principals vying to become principal of a school and doing whatever it takes whether it's to kill anybody or whatever it's just like this is not set in reality it's completely absurd and it has um i can't believe i'm blanking on his name danny uh mcbride and uh jody there's a jody forgot her his his last name i think his or her last name, who's the show creator, Danny McBride and, and this other show creator, have worked on several shows together. I think they went all the way back to like his first movie debut or whatever it was. And this is probably their best work because they develop these characters in this absurd situation that actually, you, no matter how horrible they are, if they burn somebody's house down or whatever, you still empathize with these characters and you're rooting for them. It's the most bizarre thing. By the end of it, I'm like, it's like Seinfeld, right? Like they're all horrible people and at the end they kind of show kind of shows that this show is horrible every week and it's hard for people to watch it takes two episodes to finally be like oh i get what they're doing but it's it the, the acting is superb uh, walter coggins who he was in justified i think and and uh, a couple other awesome shows he's a great actor i can't believe they had him in this or, or bill murray who kicks it off in the first season can't believe these people were in it yeah and they helped set up one of the, the funniest shows i've seen in the last few years it is hard to get into it but it's brilliant and jody hill is the jody name hill that's it yeah um and i think it just got buried by the hbo effect like game yep. of thrones on top of westworld on top of of curb coming back i think it got lost in the shuffle uh and like silicon valley all of that yeah. other stuff and um hbo doesn't make terrible shows they don't and, and this is evidence especially of that. comedies. Is that on HBO? It's on HBO, and well. it's it's worth binging. Almost everybody I know who comes into it late, they regret not following it before. And they set out to make only two seasons. They knew exactly what they wanted to do and what the arc was going to be. And it's got great mystery built into it, and everything too. As absurd as it is, it's it's awesome. Uh, so that's your favorite show. It's my favorite show. Ah, we almost tr- watched that last night. So <laughs> that, that's on our queue. Uh, I, I would defer to both you guys because I watch so little TV. Uh, yeah. How is it not Stranger Things 2 and I, you just walk away? Well, <laughs> I, like, just like, just say it. I was leading there. <laughs> I was going to Ruined give, it. I was going to give a nod to Star Trek Discovery for being 10 times better than I thought it would be. That's true. Even though it's not as good as I want it to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's walk away, Stranger Things 2. Yeah, which I, I think we all agree Stranger Things 2 doesn't live up to the first season because it can't. You really, like all the novelty isn't is gone. Stranger Things first season had going for it what it, because it didn't exist before. Yeah. You had yeah. so much more impact because of that. But now that it's it's been out there, two could never live up to that. Yeah. All right, Mike, this is your category for sure. Well, Jeremy, this is your category too. Okay, well, best game yeah, of twenty seventeen. Uh, it's really your turn to go first, and this is I the turn to go first. All right, category. Well, um, oh, it's so hard because there are so many great games actually last year. But I'm going to, uh, based off the amount of time I put in and the amount of fun I had, which I always mm. have to remind myself, like, it's it's all about how much fun. How much am I laughing and having a great time? And how inclusive is it? Mario Odyssey. No oh, kidding. Wow. Mario Odyssey. We stuck to that in our family till the bitter end. We got everything perfect in that game. And I forgot how fun games could be because Mario, to this point, has been so predictable that I actually questioned whether or not I would even play it. 
and everything else that came out, like uh, PUBG Battlegrounds and everything, which is awesome. All those things are great. Felt, you know, they're just derivatives at the end of the day. Really good derivatives, but whatever. And Mario is like, should be the ultimate derivative, but there was so much innovation in that game and what they did with the genre to flip things around and, and so much homage, but yet new, uh, new thrown in the game that I, I, it, it I blew mean, me they, away. They added a hat. I mean, that's a huge leap. No, I'm, so I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was so against that hat from the moment I saw it. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, this is the dumbest thing. They're ruining Mario. And then the the like New Donk City. I'm like, oh, so like Mario is not human. Uh, what's going on here? Whatever. It all works. It just works so brilliantly, and I can't believe it did. So I pleasure delayed Mario Odyssey and put it on my Christmas list. Yeah. I finally got it three weeks ago, and um and I'm enjoying it. But I think I. Maybe should have jumped in it in the beginning because there's been so much positive hype yeah. that it's not quite living up to it yet. Yeah. However, I'm not that far. I'm I'm still in like the deserty. No, I guess I'm like four worlds, but I haven't explored any of the worlds. You know, there's a lot. And and if I have one complaint, it's that there is so much exploration. There is a lot, which I don't expect from a Mario game. I expect yep. plenty of Easter eggs. Yep. But not true open yeah, world I mean, exploration. Yeah, I mean, Zelda was my number two essentially here. Yeah. I, I can't. There's a reason. We'll lead up to this later with another question, but like. Switch dominated for me yeah. this year and gaming on the Switch. And it wasn't because games were better on the Switch or anything like that. It's just that, well, in the case of Zelda, yes, and Mario, but like generally not. It was just, it was such a joy to use that device and, and the, the interaction and everything with it. And I think Mario benefits from that quite a bit. And there, because you're only so far as you are in Mario right now, there's so many things that happen in this game that you're going to be experiencing soon hmm. that uh, really flip the table. And I'm so. I, I, I wish I could talk to you about it now because yeah, like, yeah, there's some good stuff. Yeah. And you can tell by the end of this game where where they're coming from, why they started and why they went where they went with the exploration and everything. You'll you'll suddenly have a realization. I got to say, I love the 8-bit stuff. Not just for the style that yeah. they actually go flat, but the fact that the music changes. Yeah. And it fades seamlessly. And your costumes you wear go in there too. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So if you're wearing like the wedding dress or whatever, and now Mario <laughs> with the wedding dress is in there, it's they went through. That's they, a lot of brute force work. They did a lot of brute force work in this game, and it just doesn't stop. It gets more. Uh, you'll see more and more of that as you go. It's so much labor put in that game. It, you know, I just had a real nerdy question about the eight bit stuff. Is the music authentic? Like, do they use the yes, right? Yes, it is. So okay. they actually did use the right instruments and everything. So it's wow. they, they went for it, and they used the right palette colors and everything too. Okay. So they went all wow. in. Wow. And this is, I a like new, that detail. this is a new Nintendo we're seeing. It's a very young Nintendo. These were all people that were, like, f- from what I've read, it sounds like a lot of these people are averaging in their 20s. And they're bringing them all in who are, huh. like, they're, who also have not really developed games before. So um, Miyamoto and his team are bringing in people who are bringing life experiences into these games the way that they did back in the day and just setting them out there. So you see things like Splatoon coming out of these groups, ARMS, uh, Zelda, the way it's being played, because these are the things that they think it should be versus what it's always been. So they're, they're, they're trying to reinvigorate yeah. all their I mean, IP. There were, I think there was a, a story recently that talked about how Miyamoto really doesn't look for people that love video games yeah. per se as much as people that have interesting, diverse life experiences. Exactly. Uh, well, I'm going to claim Zelda if you're not. Yeah, as, it's it's a toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, I was absolutely in love with that game. I mean, I, I <clears throat> it came out so long ago now. <laughs> you know, like, I know. <laughs> it, but it, it was it was like a launch title for the for the Switch, right? And uh, I got it then, and I just, I haven't done that. I couldn't tell you the last time I played a game like that, where two weeks of my life was spent playing a game. You know, I felt, I felt like a teenager again. Yeah. Um, and I got lost in that world, and I felt like it was unbelievable the the fact that they crammed a single player game into an like an MMO scope <laughs> of a world that you could explore and and you know spend the rest of the year exploring yeah. um and i just 
I was I was absolutely amazed. I uh, love that game. I, I'm in the contingent that feels like it's not just the best Zelda game ever, possibly a contender for best game of all time. Mm-hmm. And wow. uh, so props to, to the Zelda team. I don't expect to play another game of that level for a generation because it's taken that long. Yeah. Last time I played a game like that was probably Ocarina of Time in the mid-90s. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this was, like you said, this was a good year. I mean, we didn't even mention like Wolfenstein yeah. and Destiny 2. Which are and, great. <laughs> uh, those are good games. I, I want to give a shout out to Cuphead, which I thought was yeah. one of the most visually interesting um, novel games to come out in a long time. Can you get progress? Com- completely frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> like, cannot play. How far it. are you? Not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the only way to put it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal what I thought Jeremy would say. Uh, let Lone Echo and Echo Arena just for the pure experience of yeah. having that zero G VR experience, yeah, and that feeling of of just totally losing yourself in a game like I haven't had in any other game this year. Yeah, I didn't know you played it enough. I, I, we have never played together, so no, I, we haven't. I would and, love to do that. Um, it, I I totally enjoy it. I'm terrible at it. I like I kind of joined up like a couple weeks too late where people were already progressing. Yeah. yeah. Um uh past my skill level, so I think that's the that's the biggest knock I would have against the game is that people got good. And so it's hard to be to play the Echo Arena as much. That's anymore. a modern game experience for me in general. Like Battlefront yeah. 2, same thing. People got good before I could play yeah, it. Battlegrounds. Yeah, everything. PUBG where there's so many players, it's yeah. still a little like that. Do you remember the first time you played an FPS with a mouse? For me it was Quake. Um, some people played Doom with a mouse. I played Doom with the mouse. Um, and for me, that was a game changer, mm-hmm. like, especially where you could look up. Like in, yeah. in Quake, you could look in any direction. And it, it completely altered how, my experience of, of playing a game. And I feel like Echo Arena and Lone Echo did that for VR. That's awesome. They figured out what we call um, locomotion, the mm-hmm. way you move around the world in a way that uh, is not nauseating and completely immersive. It's really cool. On to our last category, your best piece of hardware for 2017. And I want you to open your mind. It can be any piece of hardware, any tangible real world thing that you loved. It could be a prop. It could be it could be clothing, for goodness sake. But best piece of hardware. I, th- I think we know where Mike is going. Yeah, that's why I'm, uh, we'll just wait out because we all know my answer. Oh, just go for it. Is it Switch? Switch. <laughs> it was the Switch. Uh, you know, uh, once again. Did I you was... travel a lot? I didn't travel a lot, okay. but the the use pattern in our house uh, allows us to like not fight anymore because somebody can take the switch and go in the other room. They can have their friends in the other room and do whatever. Do you have just one? We just have one in the house. All right, very um, good. So like when the switch is being used, the Xbox is you know on the TV proper, and then meanwhile the kids go in their room and play whatever on the switch. But yeah. watching the effect of the switch happen in this like the generation that my children are in versus and it, how much it reminds me of the older generation I was in, like with the, the idea that they're all getting together to play Mario Kart in a room uh, with multiple Switches and all, all that sort of stuff. It's just like, that's cool, but then the Switch and the hardware itself made that, like, brought brought a level of innovation to it that I had not anticipated. I don't know why, what it is about being able to grab that system and play Zelda, like, on, on the can or in the bathroom, right? Or any of this. It's just like that experience, that portable, it rendered the 3DS useless to me. I just decided I'm not hmm. going to use that anymore. And also, like, we play probably the Switch more than we play even Xbox or PlayStation 4, which boggles my mind completely. And now you see things like Doom, which shouldn't be on the Switch. It has no reason to be on the Switch, yeah. but it's on there, and it's it's fully it's playable. It's you, not as good as, like, I would have on a PC. You mean from a technical standpoint? Yeah, from yeah. a technical standpoint, it, it, it's achieved what it was supposed to do and everything like that, and there's people playing it and enjoying it, and it's it's not that problem where it's, like, if they ported Doom to the 3DS, where you're like, oh, this 
doesn't belong here and it's obvious why and look at it hmm. no it's like it's 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 fully play you can play it and enjoy yourself on it if the controls for those kind of things i think that's the wrong approach that people should be doing is bringing pc games over to switch but the fact that skyrim and all stuff is on there just points to the success of that platform rocket, and that rocket league rocket league rocket league's great on it i bet it's it's fantastic Rocket league is fun i've played on the on rocket league on the switch it's great i mean having portable rocket league that's a game that should be portable. Yeah. yeah. That is, it felt like Rocket League was meant to be on the Switch when you play that. And there, we're seeing more and more games like that. And I think right now a lot of developers are putting Switch first in their game development choice. And so because mm. of that, things you're going to do. The local play, like you don't need to be online. You can have people do local play and come with some great gameplay experiences with that. I love that it's not um, that it's novel without requiring motion controls. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, I mean, the Wii was awesome for Wii Sports. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but with the fact that we can get cross-platform development including the switch yeah. being the more the mobile platform is fantastic plus I don't know. I mean, just looking down the line, eventually when we want to emulate it, it's going to be a lot easier because yeah. it's going to be able to be done on a gamepad. Yep. Um, and I, I'm super excited for that, too. Uh, I'm going to jump in and Go. say my, because it's cheat, I'm going to say the Falcon 9 was the best hardware of 2017. <laughs> 18 launches, um, 15 attempts to land uh, a rocket onto <laughs> a barge or, you know, uh, on a pad somewhere, 15 out of 15 successes, mm-hmm. 18 out of 18 launches successfully that's only going to rapidly increase what they're doing to decrease the cost of yeah. of space travel uh is amazing so what they've done with hardware is is just beyond exceptional that's a cheat but i'm cheating okay you, sir your best hardware all right so next time you launch a satellite i know who you're gonna call uh well i probably can't afford it <laughs> <laughs> um uh, for me, I, I'm going to go in a weird direction too. It's um, it's not computer just stuff. Oh, it is in a way. Um, that's combination toss up between the uh, my new 3D printer, the Prusa, um, I what is it, the i3 MK2S, uh, and the Glowforge. Both both of which are, they have cr- transformed my shop into a factory. I mean, I could make anything now. I feel so empowered by these two devices. The laser cutter, the Glowforge, finally being an accessible, reasonably priced laser cutter. Uh, and the 3D printer blowing away my expectations for what a 3D printer, how how well it can print and how reliably it can print. Uh, I, I just feel empowered. And I feel like this is indicative of this of this era that we're in, this maker era. And uh, it's never been, you know, this good. And I'm, I'm very happy with both of those devices. That's good to hear about the Glowforge. I haven't heard you talk about the Glowforge as much recently. Because um, I haven't used it as much. But whenever I do, it's it's perfect. It works very well. And it's very easy to use. And if anyone is looking for a great example of what you've done with the Prusa, there's there's videos on the site. But you also just uploaded the file for the Hoth badge yeah. that you um, helped uh, Danica print for her new Hoth, Leia Hoth jacket. Norm presented her with the Hoth jacket for, oh, that's for awesome. Christmas. They made a limited run of these. I don't know if you saw that. But mm-hmm, it, I did. I was so tempted. <laughs> so Norm got himself the Han Solo, got his wife the Leia and uh, I made them the Hoth badges. Yeah, That's awesome. Four color. Um, which is great. That will wrap up the testies for this year. If you have more suggestions for categories in 2018, I will make this an annual edition. And if you didn't like it, we'll just cancel the show. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. No big deal. And then you don't have to worry about who's hosting it. Are they going to talk about politics too much? So much clicking to get yeah, to it anyways. Exactly. We have one more segment before we wrap up, and we're going into Amona Science. And we're here. 
<laughs> transition. It's weird without audio cues, but we're just doing science. Uh, really just one story this week, mm-hmm. and it comes from NVIDIA, who had a feature in the New York Times because they've been experimenting, and we've seen stories about this for a while, about them training AIs to generate fake photos that mm-hmm. appear real. So I want both of you to click on the story if you okay. have it, because we're going to oh. take a Is quiz. Is it in Slack? Uh, it's in the show oh, notes. It's in the show notes right now. Oh, I don't have oh. that open. Okay. Well, Mike is doing that. Yeah. While I'm doing that, basically, it came up with this interesting model, um, which was they were going to create two AIs, two neural networks. And the idea of how they were going to iterate on this is one of the networks was designed to make... uh, Stop there, Mike, on that page. One of the um, AIs was designed to make a fake photo. Mm -hmm. And the other one was essentially there to see if it could tell if it was fake or not. Okay. And so it it would keep running until the other AI couldn't figure out whether it was fake or not. And that's how they were able to iterate so fast. So there are two images up on the screen, and I'll put a link to the show notes if you guys want to play along. Uh, Jeremy, take a look at Mike's screen. Okay. Which one of those two photos, Mm -hmm. these these are meant to look like celebrity photos, which one of those two photos is generated by AI? What do you mean generated? It's a totally completely fake photo generated from <laughs> nothing so completely fabricated completely fabricated ah this is so crazy and, and describe what you're seeing for those that aren't bringing it up they look like good photos right yeah they both look they're both completely so passer photos i just got the answer from clicking on it they're both they're both they're both they're both generated okay that's tricky um and if you scroll down farther in the article you can see that um, over time, and it usually takes about like 18 hours of development, they can go from something that looks just sort of like pixelated goo into something that looks akin to a real picture. And so this is both interesting from the technological development of it and how they're able to (laughs) manipulate the AIs to sort of work off each other to sort of feed into a learning process. But also it's scary as hell that we're getting to the point where... um, AIs can generate photos that are undetectable by humans. And our visual acuity has always been held up as as one of the big evolutionary advantages we have over AIs. No, hold on now. We see things in motion. So if, yes. if, if I show me an AI that can create a video. Yeah, that's, that's the that's the real test, right? But so was that, that earlier one looked like Shannon Doherty's eye on the left and like, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> like So to be fair, what we've seen the development in the past year is if you include this, we've seen the ability to generate photos really well, mm-hmm. and we covered the audio AI development the, yeah. uh, that Adobe did, the Coco or whatever it was called, yep. uh, where they're able to clip together. That's awesome. Um, you know, uh, an Obama speech. So we're not at video yet. No, no question, we're not there yet. But isn't that going in that direction? We have photo and audio. Now we're trying to put motion together, and. When you combine that with sort of the science fact of like when it comes to our ability to detect what's real or fake and faces, mm-hmm. generally we do a really good job when it's a face we recognize. I actually do a really great job when it's a face we recognize. Yeah. If it's somebody unfamiliar. It's harder. We have a really hard time doing it. I get you. And you know, it, maybe what you're indicating is that this is a step towards computer learning solving the uncanny problem, the uncanny valley problem. Uh, because that that's what we see. Whenever I see Jeff Bridges in Tron Legacy or um, Tarkin 
Or, you know, even Rachel in Blade Runner was a little weird to me, even though I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. Then it's just the illusion falls apart. But if computer learning can be applied to that problem, uh, maybe maybe that's the way forward. Yeah, I think we'll finally get enhance, 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 too. Yeah, well, they're already working on that, right? Like the yeah. adding extra detail in the low-res photos. That is, is that surprising. Right? Yeah. It so w- that's surprisingly good. They take 320 by 240 photos and make them look like 16K photos, and the detail's uncanny. Uh, we're going to have to talk about this a bunch next week because Intel just yesterday was started talking about voxels over pixels. Yeah. And a lot of that is that detail thing. It, it's it's a whole big topic we're not going to get into this I week. I want to ask one question because yeah. it's yeah. intriguing. Is the detail manufactured or if they look at the original like if they had the original 16k photo would the detail manufactured it's manufactured so it doesn't match what's actually there it's not the real thing but it it gets really close yeah it gets really close huh that is interesting okay yeah i'll finally look better they're trying to use it in the detail they want to up res like old youtube videos and all the stuff with this technology so that it can this is a fascinating article in the new york times it's not a new story per se like nvidia has been pretty open about this and and um other projects have been working on this as other companies have been working on this as well but it's a fun test to take on the new york times site um two quick stories uh r.i.p to john young um he was the initial um uh, pilot of the gemini mission um and uh he took six flights uh to space uh, seven, if you count that trip to the moon where he walked on the moon for about mm-hmm. 20 hours, there's only five people alive now that have walked on the moon. And did you know his name before he died? John Young, yeah. yeah. I did not know his name. And I, I was telling my wife that the day that I saw the announcement, like, how do we all not know his name? Somebody, What an explorer. Yeah. I mean, for me, like all of those astronauts were, were heroes Yeah, um, for me. And, but you know I'm a I'm a science nerd and like Challenger like we, I think we've talked about this before I remember where I was when Challenger I remember the TV being you know wheeled into my yeah. audience room and from there I've always had a love affair with um, with astronauts mm-hmm. um, I agree it's weird that they're not household names but almost all of those guys at that time they were like they're ex-military they're they're not really Buzz Aldrin's the weirdo of the group like (laughs) most of them are really low-key have not wanted to have much of a public personality and John actually stayed at NASA till like the mid-2000s and so dude was uh, I think 86 when he passed away just now so like he was working at NASA like nearly till 80 (laughs) um just had like a 40-year career there um and guys like that I think they're there not for the celebrity of it of being an astronaut they're there because all they wanted to do was fly yeah, yeah. I don't I don't think we need to know their name for their benefit I just feel no. like they should be celebrated uh, Ariel mm-hmm. Waldman who um, just launched a new show on on tested um, she wrote a book um, from that was all interviews uh, with astronauts um, talking about their experiences in space uh, and it's a wonderful read if you want to hear just in their words uh, what astronauts uh, really experience mm-hmm. up there uh, and lastly uh, this is premiering Wednesday night on PBS stations around the U.S. and hopefully in other countries as well. It's called Black Hole Apocalypse, featuring one of my favorite scientists, Jan Eleven, talking about just um, all sorts of things about black holes uh, and how they might be the anchor of our universe in and of itself. Uh, with that, we'll wrap up a moment of science. Anything to mention in uh, things that you've been testing before we wrap up this week? Testing. Show? Um, 
No, not that I can think of. Nothing major. Like anything you can talk about that you've been testing or anything? Um, like, any- oh, you know, this is like where I can fit in little hobby things that are going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. So like um, I've actually been recently playing around with, there's an adapter by this company called, um, let's see, what are they called? They're Tinmouth, uh, based out of the UK. And it's a, you can take a hollowed out Commodore 64, the machine I grew up programming and learned how to program on. And you can connect the keyboard and the joystick ports to it and then run out a USB cable to your PC or a Raspberry Pi. So yesterday I spent time putting the Raspberry Pi into a Commodore 64 shell, connecting the keyboard, doing everything there. And there's a Raspberry Pi image you can find online called the Combian 64 image. It takes only a few seconds. You turn it on. And black screen just as long as the Commodore 64 has, and now you're in the Commodore 64, but now you can put everything that's ever been on it on that SD card, and you can program directly with it and switch between all the Commodore computers from Commodore PET, the Commodore VIC-20, Plus 4, and all that sort of thing. Emula- emulation is solid? Emulation is absolutely solid. It's really punchy and really fast, and it uses the original Atari joysticks and Commodore joysticks that plug right into the serial ports and uses that as the interface. It's unbelievable because uh, hmm. that's one of my favorite machines, and there's a book that you should get to go along with that that's actually called, uh, what's it? It's the Retro Game dev book by Derek Morris and in that book you don't have to have the Raspberry Pi Commodore 64 there's an IDE that he points to that you can download that has an integrated has the emulation and everything all built in and has like a Microsoft Visual Studio sort of IDE and you can program Commodore 64 games today like my son's doing that right now and actually able to create cool things in this using the C64 language using the C64 language wow and in, it, in Visual Studio yeah well no in its own it has its own IDE so you can actually de- develop sprites in this IDE and everything for the Commodore 64 it's all built into this tool wow and then export your game it'll run on real hardware or just in an emulator and so when you're talking about people who are getting into game development, this is like the Pico 8 or anything like that, but you're using a real old machine to do it too. But it, it sounds onerous, no? It no, it's not. It's super simple. Like this, this is actually, it's remarkable how many people have been learning how to program through old PCs and old computers like this because right what? when you turn it on, yeah. you can instantly start programming. That's when you and start there's programming. resources everywhere online. So if you want to make like, like my son want to make a Pong game, it's, he just looks it up and it's there it is. It's basically basic, right? What? It's basic. And then the, these books here tell you how to do everything else from like doing all the audio to the music to doing assembly language. And if you think about it, hmm. These are really simple languages, far easier than what you kind of deal with today. And the thing that's been slowing it down has been the interface on the Commodore 64 itself. But now that <laughs> with this IDE, you can use a PC huh. interface and just do it, and you do it really quick. And like I said, it's like the Pico 8 or, or the Kano computer kit or any of this sort of stuff. It's all there. It's all available for you. It's all collated into one spot, and mm-hmm. this book is a really good starting point for that. Um, but then there's all these new games coming out for the Commodore 64. One just launched called Galencia, which is like this... Galaga version of Galaga on steroids that's super fun and it looks great and it plays great it's very modern and that's coming through on a Commodore 64 which blows my mind so that's awesome this is like the hobby stuff I'm kind of into like trying next up is like an Atari 800 and hit, get that hooked up with a Raspberry Pi but I always wanted a C64 but I, I ended up um, and I'm not complaining I ended up getting a PC Junior from my grandma oh, yeah. in 84 and so I became you know PC nerd from forever um, but I loved the C64, and they always had the best games. Like, they had even better games than the PC Junior. And they're, they're still playable today, which blows my mind. And I'm, I'm actually, in my old age, I, I've learned to let go of nostalgia a little bit, where it's like, yeah, some games are just terrible, and I'll just have to accept that. But some of these really age well. Mm-hmm. And, and with this, the interface and everything like that, paddle controls and all stuff are things that you don't have anymore. It's fun to kind of go back and experience oh. those games. How do you feel about um, using uh, training little kids on game design and programming? 
what, do, do you think that that's the right way to go? Because that's not an applicable language. Like, it's, it's not they, very applicable. They can learn fundamentals. I think fundamentals is really all you get out of this, but Scratch is still probably the best way to start somebody off and just something simple. I feel like that's too simple. Like there's no It's too simple, but it's super accessible. Yeah, yeah. You can get right on, you can just get on a Chromebook and start making games. I feel like Scratch is great before you like hit the age of 10. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then and then you have to start ramping up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, my my I'm I'm torn because my son is ten and he his school is still using Scratch for that age and I want them to go further. Than oh, that. they need to step up at that age. Yeah. At that point. Yep. Yeah. To what? That's the hard part. That this is something that nobody's really solved very well yet because game maker, game maker, sure. But again, that's a little bit more removed than what you really want. If you want somebody to learn like really practical skills, you're really going to have to either learn C sharp and jump into Unity and start playing around with that sort of thing or. Um, or, or yeah, like JavaScript or something like that. Yeah. But there's no, like, this This goes back to the Commodore 60, the reason the Commodore 64 is kind of interesting to me is, like, you would turn it on, you had every tool you needed. It was all integrated and ready to go. This is the hard part right now for kids is, like, what is, there's no integration, and you have to go out and find all these pieces to pull together, and there's no one way to do it. And so it's just super challenging. I think there's a way to do Python that's not super complicated. The love game language, love 2D. That's a really good one to start with. It's Lua based, <laughs> and that there's so many examples for people to kind of like learn logic and everything else that's applicable to C and everything else beyond that. Not but, not games, but there's some really cool stuff from Adafruit recently that uh, oh is, yeah is Python based. Mm-hmm. So they basically it you plug it in as a USB, and it shows up as a drive with a file on it that is a Python file, and you change that and run it, and it just runs like it. it oh, that's in, great. So you don't have to worry about your platform because it just runs natively on whatever the thing is. It's got lights and sound and sensors on it. It's a great way to learn Python. Have you guys played around with the Kano computer kit for kids? No. no. So I got my son that for Christmas. It's the buildable thing? It's the buildable mm-hmm. computer. So it uses Raspberry Pi, but it mm-hmm. comes with a keyboard. And so he went through the whole process. He built the computer, put it all together, hooked up to a TV. And then I think the best part about this whole package is they've created an image file for the Raspberry Pi that walks you through everything about programming. So they teach you how to hack Minecraft. They teach you how to program in Scratch. They teach you how to program in C, all this stuff. And it's all built in this one image file, which you can just download off their website and use it with any Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the steps going through there, he's been actually developing some really cool things in that. And that was, it had far more than I expected. That's awesome. Uh, I'm testing one thing. Um, Adam is going out on tour in Australia soon, and I've reached a a point where I leveled off in my Infinity Gauntlet build. Mm-hmm. But Adam said, "Come into the shop, finish that Infinity Gauntlet build while he's out of town." Yeah, and clean up. Uh, well, I think <laughs> don't make I'm, a mess. I think there's some obvious components. It's just because I'm in this stage where I'm hammering a lot of stuff by hand. And my wife is not enjoying that sound <laughs> in our house. Um, but it's completely made out of brass. And uh, Wow. That's awesome. Heavy. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. I mean, because the gauge of the brass makes a difference, right? And and the way I'm building Gauntlet has a glove yeah. in it so that it, it forms a shape. I don't know why I'm using my right hand because it's a left-handed thing. Um, uh, but it, it's going well so far. It's just slow going because I'm shaping a gauntlet by hand um, with like dapping tools and stuff. It's it's one of the more satisfying projects I've ever worked on though. Okay. Just because there's no, there's no like fancy gizmos here. There's no incredible tool sets. It's like a set of hammers and a piece of metal. When get do, to work. When do our friends at home get to see this? Uh, maybe May 4th, 2018 when I'm in line for Infinity War. Wow. Just debuts. You're not going to we'll make it see. for Black Panther. 
No. Okay. No. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong movie. <laughs> it's the same world. That silence was deafening All right. for a reason. All right. Um, in any case. New, new trailer for Black Panther. We uh, it looks good. We'll talk about that. Okay. Right. Um, thanks so much for joining us this week on This Is Only a Test and putting up with our slight technical malfunctions this week. You know, we'll get it correct. I think what's going on is that it's phase canceling. I think we're hearing everything that's not stereo. Sure. That's what I'm, I'm sure this is the least <laughs> Im- least interesting part of this podcast. So for the next 20 minutes no, of the podcast. There's like, there's like four people out there saying, that's exactly what's going on. He's finally, he figured it out. No, there's yeah. another three people that are like, no, that's no. not what it is. You're probably right. It's probably 50 <laughs> people. Uh, next week, we'll be back with special guest Shannon Morris, who hosts Tech Thing, who's at CES right now, to do a full recap of what's happening at CES. Uh, Jeremy and I will be back. There's a lot of stuff untested going on right now. The launch of Offworld, Ariel Waldman's new sci-fi movie series. They did. Um, uh, they talked to Jill Tarter about Contact. Oh wow! Um, and, and the character, the Jodie Foster character, is based off of her. Uh, Norm just put up a review of The Shaper. More stuff coming uh, shortly this week. Uh, but with that, we'll say goodbye because there will be no outro this week <laughs> because because Jeremy says phase canceling well, is what's happening. We care about your ears. Uh, yeah. I hope you enjoyed the testes and we'll see you next week. Adios. Bye.